Welcome to the Catapulting Commission's Sales Talk Podcast. Diving deep into the world of sales and entrepreneurship by interviewing top leaders and influencers from around the world so you can overcome obstacles and achieve success. And now, here's your host, international best-selling author and business expert, Anthony Garcia. Catapulting Commissions family, what's up team? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Catapulting Commissions podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Garcia. So here's the deal, family. Today's guest I've known for a long time. And I, I know when I say I've known guests for a long time, you're like, oh, is this like a childhood friend? Like, no, this is like a bona fide badass. So I want to share, I'm going to give you a little bit on, on our guest bio, and then we're just going to jump into it. So Brittany Hodak is an award-winning entrepreneur, author, and customer experience speaker who has delivered keynotes across the globe to organizations such as American Express and the United Nations. She has worked with some of the world's biggest brands and entertainers, including Walmart, Disney, Katy Perry, and Dolly Parton. She founded and scaled an entertainment startup to eight figures before exiting. She is the former chief experience officer at experience.com. We are going to chat a little bit about her debut book. Forbes just said her debut book, Creating Superfans. If you have customers, you need this book, period. Catapult Commissions family, we all have customers. Brittany, welcome to the show. Thank you, Anthony. I am so, so excited to be here with you, my friends. I'm glad to have you here. So first, congratulations, creating super fans launched earlier this year. And let's just, just spend a little bit of time on it. Give us a little premise on the book. I'd love to hear the story and who's the book for. Yeah, so the book really is for anyone with customers. And the premise is that, you know, we're living in an experience economy. It has never been easier for somebody to come and be a competitor or a threat to your business. Technology is making it so much easier to enter into so many different markets and verticals. So the one thing that you can really do to future-proof your business, the one thing that a competitor can't come in and copy or steal is your customer experience. And in the world we're living today, people don't just buy products and services anymore. They buy the experience that those products and services are presented in. So this book, Creating Superfans, is all about how to turn somebody from a one-time customer to a lifelong advocate who's going to keep coming back and tell their friends to check you out too. I love that. In hearing this creating super fans, um, I always feel like when we have customers who come to us, like, I don't know about you, but I look at Yelp reviews. I look at all the reviews first. And so when someone gives like a glaring testimonial about someone, it has more weight on me than me looking at the person's website, me looking at their services, you know, for a restaurant, even looking at their menu. I'm like, oh, well, this person said this. So that means something. So. You, you write a book on creating super fans. It's not, it's not something that competitors can steal. Let's, let, let's, let's jump into it. What exactly is a super fan? Like, you know, let's, let's clarify that definition first. Well, I define a super fan as a customer who is so delighted by their experience with your brand that they become an enthusiastic advocate. And there's three parts of that definition. The first is the word customer. And as you just said, you go to places like Yelp to look for reviews because a true customer review means more than not just what the company says, but also what somebody who hasn't been a customer of that restaurant or that establishment or that brand 
like it, it, it holds more weight. Like you'd rather have a recommendation from somebody who has worked with that business than somebody who's just familiar with it because they know somebody who works there or they live nearby or whatever. Uh, so that's the first part. It's an actual customer. The second part, they're delighted by their experience. They had an amazing experience. When somebody asks them about that experience, they're ready to become an enthusiastic advocate. That's the third part. There are people who are out there looking for opportunities to you know, send more leads your way because they know they found a good thing and they want other people in their life to experience that thing. So in short, a super fan is a customer who creates more customers. And that's the type of customer that everybody wants. Oh my goodness. We we would all love a customer who creates more type of customers. So I have like some logistical questions here about the customers that create more customers. Um, is this something that is like, creating a super fan like i i there's two parts that come to mind like is this like an like an organic process that happens or is this something that you're cultivating and training your customers to to become a super fan it can be both so okay. in the book i have dozens and dozens of examples of super fan customers in some of the stories i'm the customer and others i'm not and Sometimes it's something that happens very organically and other times it's through a process of very intentional experience design of the salesperson or the marketer or the business owner saying, I'm going to engineer the experience that I want a customer to have, what I want it to feel like to do business with me before, during, and after the sales process and architect all of the moments that matter along that journey. Okay. Okay. So in, in creating this customer journey and this experience, how do we, and I say we, Catapult Commissions family, you're talking to, to high level uh, entrepreneurs, executives, people that manage a sales team, they may not be directly involved in that one-to-one customer interaction. So from, uh, from the, you know, the higher level of the 30,000 foot view, how do we create these super fans? Like what do we do as leaders to those in our organization? Oh, I love, love, love this question, Anthony, because here's the thing so many people get wrong about customer experience. You cannot have an amazing customer experience if you don't have an amazing employee experience. Your customer mm. experience will never be better than your employee experience. It cannot, it will not, it does not happen. An apathetic employee or contractor does not turn someone into an enthusiastic customer. So that's the first thing that leaders need to do is really model the behavior that they want. Treat your employees even better than you want them to treat your customers and showcase to them what your brand is all about. If you want the DNA of your brand to come alive, you've got to intentionally create that feeling so that when a friend of an employee says, oh, what's your company like? It's not like, oh, man, it, you know, this sucks and this sucks. You've got to elevate it from just a paycheck to a passion. And if you can take it from a passion to a purpose, that's when you really win. That's when those super fan employees stay with you longer and create infinitely more super fan customers because they're a part of the story. They believe it and they want to share it. Oh, that's that's good. Paycheck to passion, passion to purpose. It, it, it sounds great. And I know you, you've worked with people and, you, and we've, we've know stories where this has been implemented. But there's always this situation where something on the outside put, pushes back. So if we look at the, the current times, the great resignation 
you know, I, I, some would say we're on the tail end of it, but it's something that that we've experienced. And then there's certain industries right now that maybe not dealing with that great resignation, but there is something going on in the company. And I don't want to mention the names, but there's a lot of companies that are laying off their sales force. They're cutting 10%, 15%. And it's how do, like, at this point, what are your thoughts on the leaders in this organizations? Because in my opinion, creating a super fan is easy when everything's going great. Like that morale is great. And right now, you know, there's some challenging times. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on that uh, issue right there? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, the concept of radical transparency. And of course, that is going to look different in different industries and based on different size of companies, whether or not, you know, you're, you're publicly traded, like what, what all of that looks like, but employees are smart. In a lot of cases, they're like way smarter than management gives them credit. (laughs) Right. So there's a, there, there are right ways and wrong ways to handle laying people off. There are right ways and wrong ways to handle talking about what the next 6, 12, 18, 24 months of your company looks like based on factors that sometimes are outside of your control. Things like, you know, the economy, things like global pandemics. Don't think like, oh, we're going to just like rip off the bandaid, keep everything a secret, have a mass round of layoffs, like kick people to the curve. Because not only does that sort of poison the perception of the employees who've given you something far more valuable than than money, which is their time, right? Like they've mm-hmm. given you a part of their lives. Don't totally disrespect and disregard them on the way out the door, because not only is that just the wrong thing to do, it also like creates more negative energy because then their last impression of you is going to be like, oh, they're such jerks. They like, you know, we're so secretive about it. They treated me wrong. They laid me off, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But then also what that does to the morale of the people still at your company, we all know, I, I was just on the phone yesterday with somebody who's been a client for years and he was talking about the the economic downturn that's hit his industry. And he was like, yeah, it sucks so much. Management told me I had to cut 20% of my staff. And if I didn't make a decision by the end of the week, they were going to come in and just like randomly make decisions. And all I keep thinking about is like, well, I'm going to be next. Like they're going to do this again three months from now. If they can, you know, be this flipping about like, I don't even care who you get rid of, just get rid of 20% of your people. So communication is so key. And if you treat your employees as the, you know, smart, rational people that they are and say, here's the reality. Like we don't want to let anybody go, but we might have to because our staffing doesn't meet the current realities of this market. So if we do have to adjust in one way or the other, we're going to do it empathetically, right? We're going to, we're going to do it the right way. We're going to treat our people well. We're going to offboard them with the same care that we onboarded them. And, you know, maybe we'll be able to hire some of them back one day. And maybe we won't. And if we won't, at least they're going to leave and say, this is a company with integrity. This is a company that treated me right, treated me well. And by doing that, we're not going to, you know, create a bunch of anxiety and uncertainty in the people that are still here wondering like, oh, when's the next big secret round of mass layoffs or, you know, cuts coming? Oh, I, it, I always feel like you learn more about a company from the people who've exited. Like, like it's, it's how we treat people on the way 
out. And so I, I love your, your approach on that. And even on, on the principle of radical transparency and, and you know, use, I, I like to use the analogy and even with, with my, with the current people who work for me right now, I'm like, I would rather tell you we're going to fall off a bridge together or we're a bridge isn't, or we're going to, we're running out a road. At least you're aware of it. And here's our plan to not run out of road, but we may run out of road. And there's a lot of like, oh my goodness, well, people will panic. People don't have perspective. And you said something in the beginning, like our employees are smarter than we give them credit for. Like it's, it is, I have found that when I've had a boss and I was in corporate and someone was transparent with me, it was like, it was almost like a, a empowerment of like, oh, I, I want to help us not get there versus I've been on the opposite end where people have hid things from me and you get these, you know, the random outlook invites or the random calendar events. And Hey guys, here's this notice of what's happening. You're like, Whoa. It, it doesn't make you feel good uh, about that organization. And so that's, uh, yeah, I can see how the super fan experience or lack of can impact just based on the people you work with. Yeah. And even little things like I saw somebody post on Instagram the other day, a screenshot, their boss had sent them a meeting request and it said quick connect. And then in parentheses, definitely not a bad thing, exclamation point. And she was like, thank you. Like, I would have had anxiety all week about like, why is my boss putting this random 15 minute meeting on my calendar? So like, thank you boss for having the emotional intelligence not to do that. Um, but I loved what you said about telling them, yeah, like the shit could hit the fan, <laughs> like things yeah. could go sideways, but I, f- I forget, I forget the name of this, this phenomenon, but there are all these studies about like the cognitive dissonance of like knowing something bad is going to happen versus not knowing. And when they've done like stress tests of people of like, it is so much worse to wonder if you're going to be late and miss your flight because of traffic than to just know you're going to miss your flight. Like exact same amount of time, exact same experience. But like, if you just know like, oh, well, that's happened, then you're immediately like, well, what am I going to do about it? Versus spending all of that energy and exerting all of that like mental stress of like, maybe I'm going to make it, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm going to make it, maybe I'm not. And so like, again, I, for, there's like a name for, for what that is of like moving from uncertainty to certainty, but it's like for your body, like on a physiological level and also for your brain, it's, it's better to know something bad is going to happen than to wonder if something bad is going to happen or not, even if it resolves in a positive way. Ooh, yeah, that makes complete sense with me. And, and I, I like how, you know, that, that premise of I'm prepared for this. Um, I, I look at it through the lens of like, if someone's prepared for something, I always, you know, I, I have a client right now that, that unfortunately uh, had to go through a round of layoffs. And we, we talked about the approach and, and being really, really transparent with people. And one of the things that we uncovered was um, when we're, when, and I say we, I'm, you know, I'm not, part of the company, but I'm in an advisor role. But when we had some discussions with people that, you know, we were going to have some challenges and we, we had to make some dis- difficult decisions. It was a separation of two people. There was a, the employees who rallied behind and were like, no problem. What can I do to help? And then there were those that were just like panic, Joe, chicken little sky's falling. And fortunately the company didn't have to lay off as many people as we anticipated. And wouldn't you know the people who, responded like okay really i say in an optimistic positive manner looking for ways to help one was even like no problem can i at least get a a fair letter uh, of recommendation for for my job search and it was absolutely and and, you know here's here's our projected timeline and i just i remember seeing that happen 
and, and I really, we came up with the premise because for myself, I've always wanted to know when something bad's going to happen. And it's just, uh, to hear you put it in, in that perspective is, is really enlightening. Well, so, thank you. And I think, you know, remembering that people people are going to tell people how they were offboarded. Like they're going to, you know, do you want to be the company that is like trending on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook for handling things the wrong way? Or do you want to be the company that does the right thing, even if it's quiet? Like even if people are, you know, maybe not espousing to the world that you did the right thing right now, word will spread. It is a very small world. So you should always act as if there are cameras on you because there probably are. That is for damn sure. I I would have think, you know, I'm going to say this because everyone knows it. I would have thought that Twitter would have gotten a, a, a good grasp on how to not let go of employees, but they're still doing it. Like it was, I just read this article in Yahoo a couple of days ago where somebody was termed and never had any notification, just didn't have access, was termed, and then got into a Twitter debate with the founder or the, not the founder, the CEO, Elon Musk, and it was just this massive, massive blown up viral moment. I'm like, man, that if if I'm coming out of school or I'm a software person or I want to work in tech, I don't know if Twitter's a place I'd want to go to right now, just based on that experience. So yeah, yeah, speaking absolutely. speaking of, of large companies, I I want to I want to switch gears here with you, Brittany. It is no secret that you've built some successful companies you've experienced a lot of things that entrepreneurs dream of and you know i don't i don't want to name drop and all that fun stuff but i do want to untie a few things here so you run a successful startup you've built a company where you've been the sole salesperson to over seven figures in a year both of those things seem to be elusive to many entrepreneurs out there right now i don't know the exact number uh, and I have to go check, but it is it's like sub 4%, sub 5% of companies that get to a million dollars. You did it as the sole salesperson. You have experiences in startups. So I want to talk about that. Let's go with the startups first. Help me understand. You built a company. You made an exit. For you, you're, you've done it multiple times. What is the number one reason you see startups fail? You know, I don't know if I can narrow it down to one thing. There's so many things that people do wrong. I would say one, I mean, my number one answer would be not focusing on the customer experience. Okay. Um, I hear people all the time, like people come to me or like, oh, I saw you on Shark Tank or, oh, I read your book or, oh, I did this or that. Like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And I say, great, tell me about your business idea. And they're like, oh, I don't have one yet. They just want to be an entrepreneur. And I, it reminds me of kids who are like, oh, I want to be an actor or I want to be an influencer or I want to be a basketball star. So I think a lot of people fail at entrepreneurship because they aren't willing to commit. Like they've fallen in love with this idea of what they think it means to be an entrepreneur, which I know like Anthony, for me at least growing up, like I never thought about being an entrepreneur because it wasn't like celebrated in the media. Like that wasn't the thing kids right. wanted to be when they were in junior high, high school, college, whatever. Like did you ever say to yourself, like I want to have a startup? No, never. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like there's this weird like artificial reality. Um, so that's one thing I think a lot of people fail because they like fall in love with this idea of a lifestyle, not realizing that like you are going to have to work 80 hours a week. You're going to have to like miss things that are important with your friends, with your families. You're going to have to have an absolute obsession with whatever it is that your thing is so that you earn the right to be the best in the world. 
you earn the right to say, this is what I'm doing that's important that you should pay attention to. And so I think the number one thing people need to do to succeed is to have a laser focus on making their customer's life better. In my book, Creating Superfans, I talk about the fact that I think the number one threat to every single business that exists in the world today is apathy. And like, that's not a problem that's on a lot of people's radar. Like not a lot of people are like, oh, what does our apathy problem look like? What am I doing to solve it? But we're in a world where everyone is so busy. There's so much going on. There are so many things competing for our attention all the time. I don't care if you're B2B, B2C, B2B to C, whatever. Your job is to make people pay attention to your thing, to get them to try you out. And when they do try you out, to have such a good experience that they can't imagine life without you. So you've got to focus on how to overpower that apathy, how to make your customer's life so much better after they've connected with you that they're like, I'm here forever. Like, let's do this. We're, we're in it together from now on. So that's the number one thing I would say if I had to pick just one. Focus on making your customer's life so much better that they can't imagine life without you now that they've experienced you. Oh my goodness. I, I love that. There's, I have so many things to peel back on that. First, I had no desire. I had no knowledge that I was going to be an entrepreneur. Matter of fact, my first entrepreneur journey, uh, I was 22 years old. I was, I graduated college at 21 and, you know, had, had a partial scholarship, but had student loans, went home, told my mom, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I saved this much money and I'm moving to a city. You, you know, no, we have no family. I'm going to start this business. And it was, it was like, wait, what do you mean? And at the time I turned down a job with a pharmaceutical company. I had turned down various different r- reputable sales jobs. Real, and real like, jobs? <laughs> yes, exactly. And so I went, I ran this entrepreneurial journey, had it up for three years. And I just, I failed. I failed mismanagement finance, a bunch of reasons. Audience, you, you guys have heard the story, but I failed. And then I found myself in a position like, okay, like I, I have to, I have to make some pivots, I have to make some adjustments, went into the corporate world, did that. And for the longest time, I was like, oh, I, I want to climb the corporate ladder. And I climbed just enough to where I saw the other side. I was like, hell no, zero chance. I don't want to do that. I'm gonna go back and work for myself because I had so much fun when I worked for myself younger that I'm gonna work for myself again. What I didn't remember was the amount of work it takes to work for yourself, Brandy. When I was 22, didn't know any better. 70, 80 hour weeks, of course, coming after, you know, being in a comfortable state with comfortable salary and benefits for years, it's, it was eye opening. So that is one. And then two, the customer experience that eluded me for a while. Like it was really like, I was so focused on like scaling and growing from like a numbers standpoint that I never really thought like, man, the customer like that's really for lack of better is who my boss is. So I love hearing your approach that we don't focus enough on our customers. Yeah. And it's, you know, you're exactly right. The customer is your boss. The customer is in control of your reputation, you know, of, of, of the reality of, of who people think you are. So to focus on their experience and by the way, not just like during the time they work with you, but before and after as well. What is your reputation? How are you sharing your story? How are you making it clear that you're the right choice for somebody who hasn't worked with you before? How are you making the experience so amazing once somebody does sign on the dotted line to where not only do they want to rave about you to the people that they know, but they're willing to give those testimonials. They're willing to help you build your business because they believe that, you know, you're one of the good ones. You're you are somebody who exists to make the lives of them and people like them better. 
I, I love it. And, and Catapult Commission's family, let me be crystal clear here. You know, you, you said this laser focus um, earlier, and I ought to share with you from my own journey. I have, as, a, as an entrepreneur, I've, I've had my time pulled in numerous ways, and I want to come to share with you on sometimes. Like, I, it's always pulled everywhere. And at the end, like, the thing that changed for me was, was this, where what you just said, it just became a laser focus on getting a customer, servicing a customer, and everything else, like, everything else just became a byproduct. Um, like, it wasn't of a priority to me. And so there's times where, you know, social media's been messed up. Maybe the copyright and the email doesn't look as good. But my customer, like, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to fail you because you're the thing that makes this thing run. And if I don't have one of you, then I have to find another one of you. And that's all I'm going to focus on. Um, and it took me a while to even get to that point. Like I just, I was so distracted with everything else. Well, and you know, it costs six to seven times more to acquire a new customer than it does to retain an existing one. And I think part of the reason that so many people's mindset is what you just described is because of the over siloification to use a technical term, um, the over siloification of businesses, like the way that we've departmentalized and compartmentalized roles over the past several decades of somebody saying like, I'm just focused on marketing. That's it. I'm going to get this lead and then I'm going to hand it over. And then it's somebody else's problem. And then a salesperson is like, yep, I'm going to get that lead. I'm going to convert it. And then I'm going to hand it off and it's somebody else's problem. Somebody else can onboard them. Okay. They've been onboarded. Somebody else can, can do the maintenance. Somebody else can do the customer service when things go wrong. Somebody else is going to bill it. Like so many people are so focused on just their little part of the puzzle that nobody's stepping in and saying like, Hey, I'm going to be here with you to hold your hand and ensure that this is an amazing experience the whole way through. And when nobody is taking responsibility for that relationship and everybody is saying like, nope, it's that department. Nope, it's that department. It's easy to sort of like brush it off as like somebody else's problem or somebody else's responsibility. But from a customer standpoint, like no customer in the history of the world has ever been like, oh, somebody else on your team was responsible for that mistake. My bad. Like I'm not angry anymore. Like, thank you for explaining to me. I'll just like call back tomorrow and be angry at their department. Like that is not how customers think. Like you are the chief experience officer. You are the one responsible for making that customer feel better for resolving whatever problem it is. Like whether it's your first day on the job or your 10,000, whether you're an intern or the CEO, like your job is to fix the customer's problem real or perceived. And I think that's just like a mentality shift because so many people have been treated like these little like, you know, robots to like work in a widget factory of like, your job is just this, like do this, do this, rinse, repeat. And so that's part of the reason I wanted to write this book and to say that customer centricity has to be the driving force behind every single department. There has to be interconnectivity between all of these departments because otherwise things are going to break down. Like we're no longer living in a simple world. Like it, there are complexities to everything in every business. And if you don't have a handle on that, people are going to go give their money to someone who has a better handle on that because people are no longer loyal to brands who just do an okay job. Like a hundred years ago when it was harder for a new brand to come on the scene, like maybe you could get away with that. But today getting things right is like the cost of entry. That is not like, oh, well, let's aspire to this. It's like, yeah, you and everyone else, what are you doing above and beyond to make this an amazing experience? Oh man, I just, music 
to my ears. I love I love that you just shared that. Like that was like an internal uh, battle that that we had within within my own company, and it was really like I want to wow somebody to the point where they feel like, man, I'm underpaying you for everything I'm getting. Um, and I feel like as a newer startup, it's I don't want to say maybe. Let me ask you. I would love it. Does that ever not become important? Because in my approach, and maybe I'm wrong here, Brittany, so we're just going to air my dirty laundry here. So in my approach right now, as my company is scaling and growing, I'm like over-delivering, under-promising, delivering so much value that, you know, I've had clients, man, I would pay two times the amount, three times. Like what I'm getting is awesome. As I scale, can I continue that system? Because that, that is an honest fear of mine that as I scale and, and, and you know, kind of remove myself from because it's impossible to service everyone I work with like in my mind I'm like oh well you know I won't be able to do that as often oh, I that love 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 this question Anthony okay so this is something that every entrepreneur faces as their business scales right I went through it you're going through it probably a lot of people listening to the show have been through it or are going through it right now what I will say to you is this is why that intentional experience design that I talked about earlier is so important because yeah. it doesn't become less important, but it looks different. So you still want to over deliver. You still want to exceed your customer's expectations, but the way that you're doing it is going to look different because as you spend more of your time working on your business instead of in it, your customers are going to get less exposure to you and more to people on your team. That's why it's so important to have a clear map of what your intentional experience design looks like, where those moments that you can elevate from an interaction into an experience are, the things that you're going to double down on to you know, turn something into a magical moment or a, a moment that they're going to remember, or talk about, tell their friends about by putting those to paper, you bring a science to the art of customer experience. You make it repeatable. You make it a playbook that your team can use again and again and again. So that even as you're removing yourself from the equation, you've, you know, you, you, you've, you've written the plan, you've, you've shared the secret sauce, you've put the DNA down in a way that makes it repeatable. And so in the book, I, I use the acronym SUPER, S-U-P-E-R, to talk about the five pillars that I believe are important for creating amazing customer experiences. And the R stands for repeat because of exactly what you just said. It's got to be scalable. There's a quote I share in the book that I love. It's from Elizabeth Arden. She said, repetition makes reputation and reputation makes customers. We've got to be great not just once, but again and again and again and again so that people know that they can count on it because that repetition is what gives somebody the confidence to say like, why would I ever look for somebody else? Why would I ever open this, you know, open this up as an RFP for, for other bids? Like I've got the best partner in the world. I'm not going to risk losing that. Mm. Oh, I, I am. I'm glad I, I shared my, my challenges because apparently I'm not alone, which I didn't think I was alone, but I love your perspective there. Help me understand. What's the rest of the, of the super acronym? I'd love to you. So the R is, is repeatable. Yes. R is repeat. S, -U -P -E. so, S is start with your story. And when I say start with your story, I don't mean the lead with your story. I mean, everything has to originate from who you are. 
the DNA of your company. Because if you want super fans, you've got to understand what you're doing to deserve them. What makes you different? What makes you the one that they should align themselves with? You is understand your customer story. In that section of the book, in that pillar of the framework, I talk all about things like active listening, things like employing empathy before authority uh, to really understand who your customer is. What are they struggling with? What's that transformation that they're looking for? How is their life different because you're in it? The third step of the pillar is P. P stands for personalize. Personalization is no longer a nice to have. It is expected by the overwhelming majority of customers. People don't want to be treated like a customer. They want to be treated like the most important customer with things being personalized and customized to them. So that pillar is all about how to do that strategically, both in one-on-one interactions and at scale using technology and automation. E stands for exceed expectations. That's where I talk about the intentional experience design that I've mentioned a couple of times on this show, mm-hmm. how you really take a look at the totality of your customer's journey before, during, and after their interaction with you to say, how do I want someone to feel? Like, what is the feeling that I want them to have? What do I need to do to ensure that that's the feeling that they walk away with? So intentionally architecting all of those moments that matter. And then, as I said, R is repeat. Those are the systems and processes that you need to put in place, not just to measure what you're doing, um, but to ensure that you're you're constantly optimizing it as well. Mm, the supermodel, Catapult the Commission's family. You got to go back and and rewind and listen to that again. We're clearly hearing the customer experience is separating really successful companies from not successful companies. And I love how you said it. No one is, uh, it's no longer enough. It's not nice to personalize. It's it's almost expected. It's, and if you don't, someone's looking for that. And to hear you say like, I know my, my own services and, and like my consumer habits, like I'm looking for the best experience because if not, there's someone right behind ready to say, I can give you a better experience over and over. So I, oh, exactly. I love that. Exactly. And that's why apathy is such a threat because if your customers feel like you're just okay, like that is a problem. Just okay is not okay. We are no longer living in a world where like dear resident, dear customer, whatever is going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. People don't leave three-star reviews. Like we're either super happy or we're super mad. And all of those sort of like three-star worthy experiences are those customers that you're about to lose because somebody's going to come along and show them that they care more. They're going to try harder and they're going to do better. And that is why you have to be like obsessed with making your customers love you. That customer centricity is the number one ticket to future-proof your business. Oh, I am, we're catapulting commissions family and my own team who listens to this. We, we need to, to implement that because I love, I love what you're saying. And, and I think not only does the audience need to hear it, I need to hear that myself because it's, you know, the scaling mode of startups is definitely, um, everything can seem important, but in reality, you know, what we're hearing today with Brittany is the customer experience should take priority and always and for infinite time forever. So uh, Brittany, I have one last question here that I'd love to love to gain some insight on. And it's been it's, I don't want to say it bugs me. It bugs me. Yeah, let's just say it bugs me. So you scaled to uh, seven figures by yourself as a sole salesperson. How like, I, I, I look at that right now. And I'm, I look at my clients that are onboarding sales reps. And you know, I'm pushing the founders to get back involved in the sales process. I look at my own company right now. 
Help me out. How did you do that? And what did you learn from that experience? So the way I did it was by focusing on large deals because I realized early on it took the same amount of time for me to close a $10,000 deal as it did to close a $100,000 deal, right? So I was like, oh, I need to be I need to be going after the bigger opportunities, the bigger fish. I also learned very early on that a no today is not a no forever. So I was not afraid to go back and ask again after someone had shut me down. I did not take it as like a I don't ever want to work with you. It was like, a, this isn't right right now. Um, I also sort of adopted the mindset of I wasn't going to settle for a no from anyone who did not have the final authority to tell me yes. Ooh. So I was going to try to go to the person with the ability to say yes first, because I saw a lot of deals like dying on the vine of people that are like, oh yeah, I'm going to ask my boss. Who's going to ask her boss? Who's going to ask his boss? Who's going to ask his boss? Um, I was like, no, I'm cutting all of that out. I'm going to the decision maker. And because I said, I'm not going to be intimidated just because somebody is a CEO. I'm not going to be intimidated just because somebody is, you know, the EVP of like some giant billion dollar corporation. Everyone is a person. We all, you know, are living on this planet together with the same human experience. The quickest way to get anyone in the world in a room with you is by making them want to be in a room with you, right? Like the quickest way to get to them is making mm-hmm. them be like, yeah, I want to get to know you. I want to talk to you. So I focused on trying to make myself really interesting, make myself um, somebody who had a lot of value to add. And then I did my research. Like before I reached out to people, I was not sending the like, dear sir, I have, I solve one problem and I bet you have it emails. It was like, I'm going to go listen to every podcast they've been on. I'm going to read about them. I'm going to see where they went to school. I'm going to see what their interests are. I'm going to see if they have a family so that when I like shoot that shot of trying to get them to say like, yes, you can have 20 minutes to talk to me or 30 minutes to meet me or whatever. I was like laser focused on exactly what to say. So I had a very clear, or I had a very clear mission going in a very high conversion rate. And because I focused on creating an amazing customer experience, like everybody came back. So it was once I got a customer, it wasn't just for that one project. It was like, okay, now you're a customer forever. And now because you feel invested in me and this business, when I say to you, I'm trying so hard to grow this business. Do you know anybody else who might be a great customer? I've loved working with you and I would love to work with more people like you. People were like, yep, let me get on my phone. Let me connect you to this person and that person. So Having that focus on the person, not the position, allowed me to approach sales from like a different perspective. Oh, you talk about laser focus. That, my friend, was laser focus. You were motivating me on what you did. And <laughs> I mean, I've, it, I, love, I love the space that I'm in, which is like the sales training and development for, for, for small businesses. You said something right now that I think I'm going to repeat forever and I'm always going to give you credit. You literally just said, I'm not going to take no from someone who doesn't have the authority to tell me yes. Like, it is, oh my goodness. I love that tenacity because that really, I mean, pure grit. If you were to ask me to summarize how did, how did Brittany get over seven figures by herself, pure grit. Like, there was never a wasted motion. And it was a really specific targeted, calculated approach. So that is, oh my goodness, that's motivating. I know if a catapulting missions family, if you're a founder right now, or you're in a, have a small sales team, you've heard me say it before the best salesperson for the company is you. And 
You just heard Brittany scale to seven figures right now. Uh, the best salesperson is you. And like, don't be afraid to go out on the limb and do crazy things. I actually like sent somebody a postcard in the mail once. It was like, just wanted to check it on you. You haven't answered my emails or voicemails in a while. Are you okay? Or do I need to send help? <laughs> like, Please tell me they responded. That's what, he called me right away and was like, hey, yeah, I'm sorry. I've been really busy. And I was like, I am so glad you were not like kidnapped and tied up somewhere. Because when I didn't hear from you, I assumed the worst. And like he laughed. I other times would send people like the first half of a knock knock joke in an email and be like, call me if you want the punchline. Like, don't be afraid to have fun with it. Don't be afraid to play with people. Like everybody knows when they haven't responded to your email. Don't be that person who's like just circling back, just checking in again. It's like, yeah, Karen, I know you've emailed me four times. Like find a way to make it fun. Find a way to make it engaging and people will will respond and notice. Nobody wants to add like more stress or overwhelm. Like find a way to make it fun so that they want to talk to you. They want to do business with you. Oh my goodness. That is like a nugget of wisdom right there. I mean, my my goodness, you're hearing someone who's who's built and scaled numerous companies. We didn't even talk, we didn't we didn't even name drop or any of the fun stuff. I mean, Brittany's a bona fide badass dude. And so to hear her <laughs> yeah. say that, hey, I'm not afraid to do this and get out and get and make myself memorable, do something different. What you just what you described to me is you became a value add and not a commodity. And that was like that was my big takeaway from the customer experience to the tenacity of getting your first customer to, to scaling a company. So uh, one, Brittany, congratulations on your success. How does the catapult to commissions family learn more about you creating super fans? How do they get the book? Where, where, where should we go? Well, thank you. Anybody who wants to learn more about me can go to BrittanyHodak.com. And my book, Creating Superfans, is available everywhere books are sold. You can get the Audible version. You can get the Kindle version or the hardcover cover version at Amazon, which I'm sure, Anthony, you'll link in the show notes. And it's also available at bookstores. So if you've got a Barnes & Noble or Books A Million or even a really cool indie bookstore, consider going out and getting the hardcover version. It's beautiful. It's printed in full color. It's a lot of fun. If you enjoyed this conversation, I promise you'll like the book. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Those links, Catapult to Commissions family, you will find in the show notes, BrittanyHodak.com, creating super fans available where you get your books, uh, Kindle, Amazon, bookstores, go pick it up. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, we always talk about, we want to learn from people who do what we're doing at a better rate. And I, I gotta be honest, it's been a treat to have Brittany on the show. So Brittany, we thank you for spending time with us. We wish you nothing but much more abundant success this year, next year, and as you continue to grow your business, you are truly an inspiration, motivation to myself, and I believe the Catapult to Commissions family would say the same thing. So, Catapult to Commissions family, it's that time of the show. You know what to do. Be sure to press that like button, subscribe, comment, shoot me a DM. Let me know your thoughts. Are you creating super fans? Did today's message resonate with you? More importantly, are you being the tenacious founder that is going out and working to get your first million, second million, first 10 million because of the balls in your court. Catapult Commissions family, I love you guys and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Catapulting Commissions Sales Talk Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Anthony Paul Garcia. Until next time.